Welcome back to Seeing Life from a Different Angle. This is podcast number 25. And I thought today um, that we would kind of explore something that's kind of been nagging at my mind. I've been thinking a lot about um, the fact that, you know, we tend to look to reason, you know, for an answers. You know, and it makes a lot of sense in its own regard. But I wonder sometimes if we're looking or asking ourselves the wrong questions, you know, and asking the questions that we ask, and we're trying to come up with the answers for those questions, we may indeed need reason to answer those questions. And the answers in themselves may be valid. You know, I was reading, for instance, I was reading about the superego and Freud's concept of the superego. And what Freud believed was that the experiences that a child has in the first, you know, years of his life, between the ages of about three and five or three and six, if you're a girl, the experiences that they have end up forming the superego or what, and that part of the superego that we also call the conscience. And the conscience basically is this, it is a part of the superego that says to us, these are the prohibitions. These are the things you shouldn't be doing. These are the consequences for doing the things that you do. And so I think when we look at that concept, I think it's a very valid one. However, let me pause for a moment and ask one question, which is, is it valid in all circumstances? And I think that that raises an interesting thought, which is it is valid in the circumstances when it answers the question that we are looking to answer in those circumstances. I know I'm sounding like I'm some philosophical freak here, but basically what I'm trying to say is this. It leaves me wondering if we're looking in the wrong place. You know, when we think about the moral laws that we have in our lives. You know, and if for those have listened to this podcast before, you know that, you know, I have found great interest in the moral requirements that C.S. Lewis laid out. And I think they're very valid. I think but what makes it interesting is when you look at Lewis's concept and you look at Freud's concept of where morality develops, I think we're actually talking about two very different things. For Lewis just to recap very briefly, for Lewis, the concept is this, is that we are have this and are born with a moral law. And that moral law basically is something that is passed down through time. I don't subscribe to the concept of us having a collective unconscious the way that Carl Jung subscribes to it. I think it's a far-fetched and unfounded type of principle. But I do believe this, is that I do believe that there are is a history that is passed down from parents to child. And it is not something that the parent is consciously aware of anymore, but is unconscious of, and yet still passes down to the child. So let me explain. I think when a child is born and the child's ego is yet to develop, the child is this id and this id in relationship to the mother is this very receptive organ psychologically that is willing to take in and engage with the only world that it knows at this particular point in time. As I've said before, I believe this world is one of this triangulated 
in a healthy triangulated way, this triangulated relationship between the child, the parent, in this case, the mother, and God. Now, I don't rule out the father. I think the father comes along, but comes along at a later period of time. But I do think at that early period of time, it is that relationship, that relationship between all three, where everyone is connected with each other. The mother, who has gone through life and who now lives not within this wide open reality, but in this myopic reality, isn't even consciously aware of this relationship. Yet, there is a part of her unconsciously having been this infant herself before an infant. You know, she is aware at some deeper unconscious level of this triangulated relationship, of having this relationship with God. And I think what ends up happening is that that piece of her that is, you know, unconscious to her, but is founded at that same period of time in infancy as the child, that part of her still has that conception of what is moral, what is right. And as Lewis pointed out, you know, there are three aspects to this. One is that we have to be able to recognize the importance of making sure that we are living lives in the healthiest way possible. What could be healthier, of course, than having a relationship with God where we are loved, where we allow ourselves to be loved, and we give love in the way that God gives love to us. We're mirroring it. We're replicating it. In many ways, it's much like the notion that Christ talked about later on in the New Testament, where he talked about the idea that we must become gods. In a sense, I think what he's saying is we have to return to that infantile perspective of letting God love us and then mirroring what God does for us, imitating it in the most pure way toward others in our lives. But in that relationship, the mother unconsciously, in that relationship she had with God when she was an infant, now shares those moral principles with the child. And so the child learns these moral concepts, these moral codes. Like I said, the first being that we have to be able to recognize that we must live in healthy ways and, you know, choose healthier paths for ourselves. The second is that we also must do what we can because other human beings are a part of our brotherhood. We must therefore do the third thing, which is to also take care of them in the best ways that we possibly can. So we have the need to take care of ourselves, the recognition that we are all a part of a brotherhood. And finally, that we are all should be thinking about what we need to do in order to make sure that we take care of others in healthy ways. Now this beautiful piece of our living because I would say that we're all living in that space. You know, that beautiful piece of our living gets contaminated. And the unfortunate piece, it gets contaminated by the mother, gets contaminated by the father, not by that unconscious part of them, but by the ego-driven part of them. That ego drama, as Bishop Barron talks about, the ego drama that says, okay, well, this is how life really works, and these are the rules and laws that govern the real world. Now... We trip into Freud, which is fascinating because when we think about it, you know, we find in Freud the rules that our parents pass on to us and they become a part of our superego. Some of the things we're aware of, some of the things we are not, 
but they become what I refer to as the guardians of the status quo. The superego becomes the maintenance of that status quo. It tells us what it is we should or should not be doing. And so when we think about it, what Lewis talked about and what Freud talked about were not based upon the same things. You know, the question that we might say to ourselves about Freud and the concept of morality is when and what morality was this individual living in? What reality were they living in? You know, if if I am living in a wide open reality, I'm living by a healthy moral code. If I'm living in a myopic reality where my ego is dominating in order to function and to get its needs met in order to make its way in this world, then I'm living by a different moral code, a moral code that seeks to maintain the status quo. And so I think when we look at it, it becomes this interesting point of consideration. You know, I'm reading this book, um, C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud debate God, love, sex, and the meaning of life. And the book is called The Question of God. And in it, the author talks about these concepts, but he, I think, missed the point in this regard, is he didn't really see it from this different angle. The possibility that what we're talking about in these two individuals is them looking at the world in two different ways. I believe that both are absolutely correct, that Freud was right, that we do develop a superego, that this superego does then determine a great deal about how we will function in the real world. The sad reality of it is, is that that real world is that myopic reality, that world ruled by fear and sadness and despair and the desperate desire to avoid anxiety, discomfort, terror, you know, and I think that's also part of the reason why it is that when individuals debate the concepts of Freud, one of the things that they debate is that he was such a pessimist, that he was coming from such a dark place. I think the truth of it is he recognized that the world is a dark place because we slip into that darkness, not because we wish to. No, indeed, because instead we are drawn to that, pulled toward it. You know, we've talked about it before that we are put on this path, this wide open path that our parents bring us on because this is what they believe to be the healthiest option for us. Now, last week, I know I had said this and I agree with this still. I'm not debating my own statement, but, you know, I think we have to recognize and consider that, you know, our parents take us down this path because they believe out of their own fear and their own trepidations, even if they're not consciously aware of either of those things, they believe that this is the best path for us. And they're not wrong if we are only to stay in that world. But I think that this is where reason goes wrong. If we are only focused on how we reason our way out of these horrible things that human beings tend to do with and toward each other, you know, if we're focused on reason or if we're only focused on emotion, again, going back to the notion of men of the head and men of the stomach, if we're only focused on those things, then we're going to make a mistake. You know, we're going to make fools of ourselves if we think that we can stop war, for instance, by yelling and screaming and ranting and raving that war is wrong. We're not going to stop war by, you know, picking up arms and killing other people. We're not going to stop war 
by having more weapons than the other person does. These things won't change how it is we live our lives. They won't change the things that will make us healthier and our society a healthier place. None of that's going to change these things. You know, I know this weekend upcoming, there's supposed to be a rally of some sort in Washington, D.C. And this rally is going to be, I think they're calling it a pot and pan rally. In other words, bring your wooden spoon and start banging on these pots and pans and letting people know that you're protesting the war. And as I was listening to this with my wife, I was thinking, you know, how sad it is because really what is the purpose of this? Okay, you could say that the purpose of this if we're using our reason, the purpose of this is to help people to make note of the fact that we're against war and that we think war is wrong. Okay, but will that stop war if we may remain in this myopic reality? If we remain men of the head? Or we could also say that this per the purpose of this is to get people to feel something, to know that there's something that needs to be done. And I feel it at the core of who I am. You know, now I am a man of the stomach. You know, all about my feelings. But we have to remember that in these moments, what we end up doing is we're just propagating these very subjective perspectives on what's really going on. In any of these things, I would say, we're not really honestly challenging our own subjective perspective. War will not end because we yell and scream. It will not end because we reason our way out of it. It will not end because we arm ourselves out of it. All of these things may be delay tactics, but they're all part of that myopic reality. Instead, wouldn't society be better served by the chefs in Washington, D.C., coming out of their restaurants, setting up a table outside of their restaurants, and feeding the poor, helping those who do not have, aiding those who are the weakest among us, you know, whether it is because of physical disabilities or psychological disabilities, one way or another, why not aid those who are around us, take care of our brothers, take care of our sisters, to shift from men of the stomach and men of the head to men of the chest where we recognize the importance of what it is we experience, what we think, what we feel. Don't deny the reality that that's important. We have to live in this world, this myopic reality for now. But what's wrong with being men of the chest where we think about others as well? You know, and I think we're going to serve and would serve mankind a lot more deeply and with a greater, greater reward for everyone. If we were more generous, more giving, and more nurturing toward others, the pots and pans will be dented, and the pots and pans will be littered about in Washington, D.C., and people will leave their things, and people will feel go home, and they will feel like, I did something today. And I won't say that they didn't do anything. But what I would say is that what they did was pointless, because it will not bring an end to anything. Now, I know that that's not a particularly popular perspective because people will not like the fact that I might say that what they're doing doesn't really end up resulting in anything. But what I mean by that is that if that's your goal, you're asking yourself the wrong question. You're living, therefore, in a path or on a path that isn't going to lead you anywhere.
The real question is here, what can I do to better serve mankind? What can I do that would better serve others in my life? You know, and if, if we're really considering that we want to better the world, we need to shift away from this harsh, fear-provoking, uncomfortable world and move back towards that closer relationship with God, that relationship that is now unconscious to most of us, you know, but I think it does exist in all of us. You know, that's the only thing that's going to change the world. The world will not change by man's behavior. We will not change the fact that the world is has a different temperature today than it did yesterday. There's nothing we can do in the vanity of man to believe that he can make the world change simply by acting in a particular way or not riding his car in this particular way, this particular day. We don't have control over nature. And at some level or another, we have to ask ourselves, why did we become so focused on this fantasized belief? Well, it's because we slipped away from that wide open reality. We were pulled away from that beautiful space of living, brought down into a place for some of deep sorrow and subsistence and for others a fantasized existence. And as long as we're living in these places, we're not going to be able to achieve much in life. But we'll believe we're achieving something. The sad reality of it is we're achieving very, very little, but we can reason ourselves into believing that we're doing good for others by these actions. But today, tomorrow, 500 years ago and 500 years into the future, mankind will be the same as they are now. They will be cruel and harsh to each other. And they will need a conscience in order to live in this sad, myopic reality of a world that we live in. Or they can make this choice. They can seek to understand themselves better. They can seek to dink, sink deep inside of themselves and not look for what it is they can do, but indeed look for what really is. You know, look for the relationship that, that can be with God you know, that does exist and has existed within us since the beginning of time. It's important that we ask ourselves the right question. You know, what is it that I can do? Who is it that I really am? If all I believe is that I am made up of, you know, these subjective perspectives of life, and I'm missing most of life. And I'm turning farther and farther away from the good that I can do for others because the good is founded on love and love is founded on God. And so I task you with this thought, something to consider. You know, whether or not we're asking ourselves the right question and if we're asking ourselves the right question, are we asking ourselves that question in a space where we are riddled by fear or a place where we are ruled by love. And so I think when we consider it this way, I think it will allow us to really wonder in ourselves, you know, when we look at how we raise ourselves and live our lives, or how we are raised and live our lives, you know, and our morality, you know, I think it gives us the opportunity to say to ourselves, you know, 
Do I want to stay in this myopic reality or do I want something better for myself? Be well.